We have had a, a visitor this weekend, Tom Harkis, and his wife Dawn have come and basically visited us and spent uh, time with us. Uh, for those of you who missed Friday night service we had, it was a wonderful time. Um, Tom just challenging us to be more um, vocal and bold and active and proactive in sharing with people. Um, that is really the heartbeat of his time. Our, our Sunday, Saturday morning men's time was a good time as well to think about the hindrances that, that hinder us from being active in sharing the gospel with people. Um, and they spent a, an afternoon with the leadership of the church uh, just to talk about uh, just church and church planting and things of that nature. And then he was with the youth group last night at the combined youth service where we had about 70 youth from the five different churches that we've teamed up with. And so today also, Tom, I think will we'll challenge us in many ways and uh, to just be active in what we're doing in terms of sharing our faith with, with non-Christians, just engaging in them. And I'm just hoping that it, you all be challenged um, in your heart and mind. I want to just read Tom's life verse. I, I believe this is. Acts 20, 24. I see it on everything you sign. I see it. Remember, 25 years ago when I lived with you, this was a prominent verse. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And that is Tom's heart. So come and open the word to us. Good morning. It's been great to be with you folks. And um, I was telling Steve... Uh, after having an opportunity to get to know some of you, I said, what a choice group of saints. And I thank God for His grace here at Rock Valley. It's a, uh, I have to admit, I'm getting away at times, it gives me an opportunity, kind of this alter ego to come out. Um, last night I had the opportunity with the youth to, I have this visor that has hair that comes out the top of it that's bleached. And then I have these tattoo sleeves that, that I put on and um, had an opportunity to come out, and, and what it portrayed was, was basically being a great pretender, you know, to be somebody you're not, and it kind of led into the, the whole thought of, of what Christ is in your life. And, and um, it was just a joy to see the staff there and pointing to the kids, prioritizing the, the students. And I anticipate, by God's grace, uh, in the future, an outpouring of, of souls that will love God and, and love people. Uh, so, um, with that, I'm grateful to be here, and, and let, would you join me in prayer, too, again? Um, Father, we, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your kindness to us, and that you brought us together this morning. You know where each of us are in our journey. You know, God, what you want to say to each of us. I ask for our hearts, there be nothing in the way that would keep you from speaking to us and moving us closer to yourself. And so, Holy Spirit, have your influence among us, that Jesus be lifted up, that God, you would be glorified, in Jesus' name, amen. I have to confess, as, I, as I've lived um, my, my Christian life, at times as I look back, the Christian life seems to be confusing. Can anyone identify with that? That at times in the Christian life, it just gets confusing and convoluted, and there's there's different things we're trying to study, and, but yet we don't fully understand, and yet I need to do this, and I shouldn't do that. And it, at times, it can get hard. I remember as a young Christian, figuring out that, okay, I'm, I'm saved by grace, having been raised Roman Catholic, and 
It's the first time I really understood in college that, that Christ died in my place. And it was all in the Mass. For those of you from a Catholic background, you can affirm is that when, when the priest lifted up the Eucharist and said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Lord have mercy on us, it was right there the whole time. But I, I didn't see it. I, I missed it. So when God opened my eyes to that truth, um, I, I was born again. My life changed and began to slowly work its way out from the inside outward where people could see a difference in my life. But then I was trying to figure out, well, now that I'm saved by grace, you know, what was that that I was a part of? And so I started to study more Roman Catholicism, in which I've been raised in for years and went to a Catholic high school as well. And, and then it became kind of a study about, like, well, well, about doctrine of, of how did, where do we go wrong? What, what's, what was I a part of? How did I, how did I miss it for all those years? I remember meeting with priests and being someone of a, a brash, antagonistic young man and kind of arguing with them and, and uh, being tempted to say different things. And, um, and then it became to understand, well, what about the understanding of eternal security and and went from there to understanding the church and about spiritual gifts and how to understand that and, you know, are we supposed to and do we have all the, people have all the gifts but none of the fruit and how do we understand that and just processing through a lot of those things in life. And, and, and as I've gotten older and I've matured a little bit in time and as I've approached now almost 30 years in vocational ministry, as I've come to grips with the reality is that, that God wants things more clear. In fact, over time, uh, I would submit to you is that things seem simpler in my mind, more clear in my mind. And it's not simply because I've spent so much time in the doctrines of grace and truth and God's Word, even though that's a big part of it, is understanding God's Word. But in that is, there's, is we read God's Word as we saturate our mind over, over time and years, is that there's certain things that begin to stand out over and over and over and over again. And what emerges is the main thing. The main thing. But I don't think God's desire is that it be so con- confusing for us, but we would keep the main thing. And I would submit to you that in God's heart, there is a main thing that He would desire of us as His people. A main thing. And it's not intended to be confusing. It's not a de- intended to be for the really smart, erudite type people that are sophisticated and have advanced degrees. But it's meant for everybody. It's intended that the cookies would be on the bottom shelf so that everybody could reach them. It's to be simple and understood and grasped, whether from the great theologians of the past who have understood this or whether to the brand new believer at five years old. They need to understand the simple truth. And, and frankly, what it boils down to what I, I submit to you is keeping the main thing what? The main thing. right? Keeping the main thing the main thing. And so much of my daily existence as a pastor and as a minister and as a believer that's simply out in the world rubbing shoulders with people is trying to keep the main thing the what? The main thing. That's right. Keep the main, keeping the main thing, the main thing. And as we look at the Word of God, it's so critical that we grasp that. If we don't, we pay a price. Because what happens if you don't keep the main thing, the main thing, is what happens is that the Savior gets replaced with a system. That initial love for the Savior that, that just kind of overwhelmed us when we see He died in our place and it's all of His righteousness that's applied to our life and we're no longer the stinking, guilty sinner, but we are the righteous saint by God's grace. 
that over time, that love and that devotion gets replaced for a system of theology of understanding. And so we replace this passion love for a Savior for a passion love for a system of thought. Or maybe it's not that, but what happens is that that devotion that initially, that spark that carried us early on in the Christian life begins to get replaced with duty. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to stay away from that. And so the Christian life becomes this, keep your head down, you're, you're going into a headwind in the Christian life the whole time, and by golly, we'll get there someday. And so it becomes this duty, this kind of, this, and this routine, and we trade the Redeemer for the routine of life. And, and, and I would submit to you that, that it's because people have not kept the main thing, the what? The main thing. And that main thing is, is intended, again, to be very simple. And, it, and it's, it's an opportunity to really piggyback on Steve's message last week as we were talking about in preparation last night. It's just that of how important just to have the opportunity to unpack a little bit further what Steve began in Mark 12, but from the other account in Matthew 22, where the Lord has this interaction with those who are really testing Him. They're trying to trap Jesus and they come to Jesus in, Mark, in Matthew 22, the same account as in Mark 12 that you looked at last week. And they're trying to trap him, and they've, they've had some, several unsuccessful attempts. And finally, one of the scribes comes, and it says in the, Mark, or the Matthew account, different than the Mark account, it's, it underscores maybe a little bit more of what was part, anyway, of the motive. If you turn to Matthew 22 with me. Jesus, having dumbfounded the, those who were trying to entrap him, he says to the crowd, let's go back to verse 33. He says, when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Because the masterful teacher was able to respond in a way that confounded the crowds who were entrapping him and brought great truth from it. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, those who didn't believe in a literal resurrection, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the great commandment? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And so what Jesus then takes that opportunity on the heels of, of that response to then point to himself. He's drawing these people who are testing who aren't truly searching at that moment. And God, God's grace is, is that He continues to reach out to them. He, he's trying to bring them to that place of understanding. He says, you know, who, who is this Christ? And then He, from the Old Testament, basically speaks of Himself. He says this. And how does, He says, who is this Christ? Whose son is He? Who's, he says, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is is he whose son is the Christ? They said to him, Son of David. And he said to them, Then how does David in the Spirit call him Lord? Saying, as he quotes, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? 
No one was able to answer him. Nor did anyone dare from that day on ask him any other questions. And what I want to do is I want to zero in Again, on the text that Steve had, he covered a, a quite, a, quite a number of verses. I want to zero in on just one aspect of this in our time together. And that is that the whole thought of the great commandment. The great commandment is you shall love God with all that you are, your soul, heart, mind, and strength, and your neighbor, with that which is second, your neighbor as yourself. You say, well, why is that? Because really, the, the primary intent, as, as Steve unpacked last week, was really to show the inadequacy or insufficiency and our own strength to do that. So the law comes to bear on people's lives, kind of like an x-ray machine. It shows us our, our need for a Savior, that we've got sin in our lives, and we need a Savior. That's the law, right? Galatians chapter 3. It's a tutor to bring us to Christ, to bring us to a place of need. We see our sin. God says, love me with all that you are. You go, man, I, I, I'm trying, but I'm not doing it. I'm failing. Nor, and it says, love your neighbor as yourself, as he summarizes all the law in those two commandments, love God and love your neighbor, is that you go, I'm not loving my neighbor, I'm not treating him the way I should, and therefore then I need a what? A Savior, right? A Savior. But let me submit to you that, that it's not just that, because that I want to zero in on, is not just that the, that, because in, in, in reality, based on the book of Romans, is that we know that the law really has no, specific bearing on the Christian when it comes to bringing us to the Savior if we've already come to the Savior. But what I believe is here, and I really submit for your study and consideration, is that this still reflects the heart of God. In fact, summarizes really what God wants of each one of us as believers. It's not like He was saying, okay, here's the law, and you shall love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. As if I'm indifferent to it, you can never do it. And when you realize that, it's just set aside. It's almost like to say, well, I want you to jump across the Grand Canyon. That's necessary for all of you to get to heaven. But frankly, I'm indifferent to the Grand Canyon. So once you realize you can't make it and you need a Savior, then who cares about the Grand Canyon? No, I would submit to you, it still reflects the heart of God, that which is perfect, is that God desires... Our devotion. He desires in response to the grace of God in our lives. He desires more than anything else to love Him with our soul, heart, mind, and strength. And our neighbor as ourself. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, one is that He didn't dish that. He didn't say in that context, well, this is bad and, and, and this is this no longer. But actually is that as we see throughout the rest of the New Testament, you can unpack all the different commandments through all the epistles and all the follow-up letters to the churches under those two. You shall love God with all that you are and your neighbor as yourself. But this is how it's different. It doesn't bring us to a point of need as believers in seeing our sinfulness and therefore need for a Savior. But instead, in contrast, what God does here is He shows us this is what I want, and as a work of grace in your life, as the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, takes up residence in your heart, then this is an enablement to desire, and also by God's grace now, to progressively fulfill that you would love me with that all that you have, and your neighbor is yourself. And so what does that practically mean? I'm just going to touch on the first, because in, in line of our, our desire to really zero in on evangelism, I'm, I'm going to really bank and spend most time on the second. But just thinking through, is keeping the main thing, the main thing 
is that it, it involves two things. Is that we should love God and love people. Now, I thought it was appropriate that I couldn't peel off this, this sticker and there was something already written here because in the Christian life, there's still a lot of things that distract us from it. And so we have to always be reminded in God's plan of things is that we should love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. This is the main focus. And so in loving God, what does that practically mean? That we would love God and love our neighbors ourselves and keeping that as the main thing. Well, we see this in Scripture, and as I mentioned, is that the New Testament unpacks that as the priority. For example, in 1 John, you see it through any book. You can pick any book and unpack the commandments and the exhortations under those two headings. But let me take 1 John for an example, because 1 John is written to help people know if they're really the Lord's or not. Those who claim to believe, how do they know if they're truly the Lord's? 1 John chapter 5 says, I've written these things to you, verse 11 through 13, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Well, what are these things? He's written to them vital signs. How do you know you have spiritual life? There's spiritual vital signs of confessing sin. But also, two of those that He zeroes in on is that we keep His commandments, we, we, we keep His commandments, but also that we love the brethren. We love the brethren. It says that that is how we show that we're truly His, is that we have a love for one another. And so part of this, this, this outflow of loving God is that it should reflect the love for people, but also in loving God, this exhortation over and over again is the love of God, the love of God. You just, if you had a, a Palm Pilot or one of those, actually, we don't use Palm Pilots anymore, do we? Um, if you had a, some type of a technologizing, if you just Google love of God, you'll see, or love for God, is that you would see a bunch of verses in the New Testament that, have, that call us to love God. To love God. To love God. So what does it practically mean today? If you were to, um, to going home and your child that is with you or a friend who doesn't have much of a church background, uh, background said to you, what is this whole love of God thing? You know, I, I, I just think of, well, it comes to my mom. Mom and dad is like Snoopy, you know, wanting a bone or something from from Charlie Brown, it's like, you know, it's just this, I mean, is that really what it is, this sentimental, simple feeling or desire I sense in a moment, this kind of feeling in my gut for something, and it happens to be a love for God. Is that really what it boils down to? How would you respond to that? How would you respond to that? Take a moment, the person next to you, and I know this might not be fair, it's early, still, kind of, on a Sunday morning, but take a moment and turn to some person next to you and, and say, Give it your best shot. I think a love for God means finish it. Take a moment and do that. The love for God, my best shot at it is... Take a moment. If, and if you're near somebody by themselves, just kind of turn around and, and share with them and what comes to mind. I'll give you just 30 seconds, 40 seconds. Go ahead and do that. Love for God. Finish it out. Okay, let me pull it back to you again. What did you come up with? If that child on the way home said, okay, 
I'm trying to get my hands around this. I just keep thinking of Snoopy in the bone. Uh, what does it mean? How would you respond? Let me hear from you. Go ahead. Relationship, yeah. Okay, relationship. It's not, it's not just something that's simply from a distance that we know some facts about somebody, but there's a relationship. All right, what else? Now, these are good things to be reminded of. What, what else? What's that? Adore Him. Yeah, there is an adoration that when we properly understand God, who He is, that we respond by this gracious work that He's done for us on the cross, this gracious work of sustaining grace, is that we adore Him, that we think about that. Now, what does it practically mean to adore Him? The Sunday morning, we all come in on hands and knees. And Steve has a robe on, and he sanctions this. Yes, you have truly, fully fulfilled today's adoring. You now crawl back to your seats. Is that what he's meaning? Now, what does it mean to adore him? Well, we're thinking about him. We're thinking about what he said in his word. We're thinking about what we've read in that morning in our time with God. And and we're we're mulling it over in our minds and minds and milling it over. Saying, God, yeah, God, this is awesome. God, you are sovereign over all the earth. Even today's transactions, even the fact that I'm going into this meeting on the first, in the, this, to, to negotiate this situation that I feel like the person is unreasonable. But God, I adore you because you reign over all. Okay, what else? Love for God. What else comes to mind? Obedience. Obedience. Thank you. Obedience. The big O, right? O B E. Okay, that's mom and dad. All right, I'm sorry. The um, obedience is that yeah, we respond by saying, God, I want to obey you. John fourteen twenty one. He who has my commandments and keeps them, is he who loves me. Right? Yeah. So there's obedience, but the obedience comes from a what? A heart that loves God. It's like, well, duty, man, I've got to obey, and I can't do this, and I've got to stay away from people to do that. And it's like, but say, God, I love you. I'm in this situation, God, I'm all by myself. I have a choice. God, I love you. I want to respond in obedience because it pleases your heart. And you've enabled me by your grace to walk in newness of life. Okay, what else? Love God. Give Him your all. Okay, so you're not holding anything back. So, so there's a dependence in that. There's a devotion to God to say, God, I depend on you. God, I, I want to give you my all today. I, one of the things I've appreciated, uh, there was a brother and, uh, who was in our church in, in Colorado. And I remember he, he had said one thing in a sharing time that, that I've, I've since then done every, pretty much every morning, at least when I think about it, which is most mornings. As he and his wife, he was a VP with um, a large company, and, and he says, you know, my wife is Harvester. Yeah, I think it was Harvester. And uh, he said that, you know, my wife and I, as soon as we get up in the mornings, we roll over on our knees together and we give the Lord ourselves. Based on Romans chapter 12. In light of God's grace through the book of Romans, right? His saving grace, his gifts and his calling that are irrevocable. Incredible truth. He says... In light of, therefore, we present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. And so they do that together. As they clear the fog, the alarm goes off, they start to clear their heads. They just, before they even their feet hit the floor, they roll over on their knees and they consecrate their day to the Lord. Say, God, here we are. We love you, God. We, in response to your grace, we present ourselves. And I've been doing that probably for 12, 10 to 12 years now with Don. We roll over in the mornings, as long as we're getting up close to the same time, and Donna, yeah. So, so in that, we, uh, so we, we present it. We say, God, here we are. As a husband, I take the lead on that. I say, God, here we are. God, you know our day. In response to your grace, 
we present ourselves as a living and holy sacrifice today. And so, God, to you be the glory today. So it's a way to consecrate our day. So it's this devotion, and it's this recognition. Say, God, I love you, all that I am. Anything else that comes to mind when you think of that? When you think of love for Yeah, please. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, wow. Amen. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Great summary, right? Yeah, that's the... Thank you, thank you. Yeah, anybody else who love God? Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. So is that, and I would submit to you, that's probably the best thing for me in, in, in terms of warming my heart is to meditate on what God has done. Meditate on the gospel. And, and I've, I had a conversation with someone recently and and, and I'm now in Wilmington, North Carolina, and this past week, and I just told him, I said, I, I challenged him, I said, you know, much of, of the Christian life is simply going deeper and deeper and deeper into the gospel. That, that's the Christian life. You just go deeper and deeper into that truth of what he has done for you and what he's done in you. And then what he's done, un, what you're called unto, right, in our mission. So let me just submit one other, one other thing, or two other things, and that is one is the word authenticity. There's an authenticity, an honesty that we see in the book of, of um, in the Psalms, as David's heart is reflected. There's an authenticity about our love for God. To God, here I am. Even if your heart is cold, you to be able to say, God, my heart is cold, or God, I feel my heart wandering. God, you know in your grace where I am this morning or where I am today. God, would you move me by your grace? Apart from you, I will not come. So God, would you move me by your grace? There's this authenticity about our love for God. And secondly, let me submit to you a simplicity. A simplicity about it. It's not intended to be for rocket scientists. It's the simplicity. We see this in 2 Corinthians 11 where Paul's concern for the church at Corinth is that they would be led astray by the serpent, by the evil one, from the simplicity of devotion to Christ. And so we never get far away from the cross. We never get far away from a simple love for God. A call to, to see God, I love you. So it's always been a priority. What does it mean? There's this dependence, this devotion, this authenticity. Say, God, all that I am. And then one, one, let me add one thing before we zero in on the, the last love our neighbor. And let, let me submit this, that part of a love for God is He will bring us in places that we don't understand. And He calls us to trust Him. And so... A phrase that, that I've heard and that I've kind of remi- been reminded of over the years is that God often calls us to trust Him in the dark when it makes absolutely no sense. Absolutely no sense. You know, going into North, in North Carolina, we had a move there to start a, a group of other churches from Colorado where we'd been for 13 years. And we went there with expectation um, and hope. Um, it was a sacrifice. We had left our friends and, and dear ones, and, and, and we had gone now to, to, to start these churches in North Carolina, a main church that then, by God's grace, would start and daughter other churches. And in that expectation, our, our oldest son, Josh, who's biological, our son, Chad, who we had adopted um, at four, he came into our home. And, uh, and our newborn, well, not newborn, but a young one, our toddler at that point, Erica, who we had also adopted, we had connected in the community. We began to sacrifice by meeting people, being, trying to be very intentional in our relationships. I started coaching. I coached at the high school, the varsity swim team. 
Um, I got involved with coaching middle school football, just trying to connect. I started hosting dinners at our home. I said, man, this, this is great. I've got 30 middle school football kids that typically don't get a lot of attention. They're the, they're the um, what they call fifth quarter guys, the kids that don't typically play, but they allow them to play other teams' fifth quarter. Kids are usually smaller or they've never played football before. And I said, hey, coach, why don't you just, head coach, why don't you just let me have them and I'll be their head coach? And so the parents go, this guy's giving them all their attention. And then I said, we're going to have dinners over at my home before the football game. The, the, lead, the, the first strings, the guys go, we don't have dinners over at the coach's home before we play. What's up with that, right? And I would invite all the parents into my home. So all the kids and all the parents are coming over for spaghetti dinner at my house. And we began to connect with people, right? My son Chad is on the football team. He's one of the smaller children or smaller young men. And so we're, we're, I'm connecting with people. Varsity swim team, 40 swimmers. It's coached for two years. In a row, right? I'm, I'm interacting between those two years, probably about 60 families. Again, we started having spaghetti dinners before the swim meets, interacting with all these people. And then my son Chad dies. My son in a, in a kind of a freaky choke experiment thing that he got caught in. And he dies. Now, now just think for a moment. Aside from the emotion, it's been like now uh, five plus years, and, and I don't want to sound indifferent to it because it was horrific and, and it was traumatic. It was darkness. We were in the dark on this. Very unexpected, unanticipated. Chad was compulsive, but never thought this would ever happen, anything like this would happen. His friends had been involved in this, some things he'd learned at school. But... So in this is that we, we, had, uh, we were going through this, this devastating loss. The church is six months old approximately six months old. At his memorial service, 500 people show up. We had made tremendous inroads over the year and a half of being there. The church had started six months earlier. We were in the community for about six to eight months to a year before that time. So having been in the community for a year and a half, 500 people show up. The mayor shows up. Don had met her and played tennis with his wife before he was the mayor. God had given us a lot of inroads in the community. 500 people show up at a memorial service. New pastor in the community whose family, it's interesting enough, the one thing we used to get tempted to be proud about was our parenting. Now your kid's dead, right? It is dark. It is a dark time. And and just think about even the purpose of God. Like, God, really? I mean, really, God? We're starting a church as well, let, let alone the loss of Chad and all the emotion of that came with that. But the, even your namesake, God... Even your name. How do we understand this, God, of what you're doing in the community? And so it was dark. We didn't understand it. It was just obscure. And, and I think much of loving God, what God taught my wife and I through that very dark time, was that God calls us to trust Him when it makes no sense. And some of you are in that kind of a situation now, maybe with your job, or maybe in a relationship, or maybe a spouse's response, and, and it's, you're in situations where it just doesn't seem to make sense. And I think much of loving God is responding and saying, God, I trust you, even though everything about me is saying not to, even emotionally. And it doesn't make any sense. As God, I trust you. I think that is maybe arguably the purest form of a love for God, is when it makes no sense, because he calls us to trust him in the dark. So, keeping it the main thing, the main thing, the first thing is love God. And then secondly, to love people. What does that mean, practically? Well, in the context, 
We can see it unfold. It says our neighbor. It can be people around us. It can be, and probably most specifically, those in our group, right? We see this as evidence of loving one another, a lot of one another's, right, in Scripture, of love for one another. But I want you to zero in on not just loving one another for the time remaining, but loving our neighbor as, to love our neighbor as ourselves. So what is the greatest way we can love our neighbor? Let me hear from you. The greatest way you can love your neighbor. Serve him. Okay. He, had, he or she has a need. You serve him. You try to help that need. What else? What is the, some of the greatest ways we can love our neighbor? Share the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I have to remind myself of that, is that I can serve and serve and love and love and love them, but, you know, they can go um, to, to hell well served if I don't share the gospel, right? And so I need to be able to do that. I need to take the gospel. And I would submit to you one of the greatest ways that we, in fact, arguably the greatest way, that we can, as keeping the main thing the main thing, in loving God but our neighbors ourselves, is to share the gospel with those who don't know Christ around us. To be able, through our lives and our words, to be able to communicate the, the, the reality of Christ. And we see that's God's heart. We see that in the Great Commission, when He commanded His disciples to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey or observe all that He had commanded them. So he's called us to do that, to let our light shine before men, Matthew 5.16, that they might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. That great upper room discourse, there he is the night when he was being, right before he was betrayed, here he is in prayer. He says in John 17, verse 18, he says, Father, in this prayer, as the disciples are there, as you have sent me, Lord, I send them. And so we've been commissioned. We see this unfold in, the, in the, the New Testament epistles where we see, for an example, in 2 Corinthians 5 where it says that we no longer live for ourselves but for Him. And that whole thought culminates with, it, with we are ambassadors for Christ. We recognize no man according to the flesh, so we've got a new scorecard of what's important. We're new creatures in Christ. Old things have passed, new things have come. That's not said in the context of dealing with sin. It's said in context of value systems, of living for Christ, of what matters as an ambassador on mission versus something else, living, living for yourself, right? And then it culminates that those who have been reconciled have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We see this also in Peter's writings, where he says in 1 Peter 2, is that we're a holy nation, a royal priesthood, it says, a people of God's own possession, why? That we might proclaim the excellencies of Him who's called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. For we are not a people, but now we are the people of God. Therefore, it says, keep your behavior excellent amongst the Gentiles, so the thing in which they slander us as evildoers, they may in account of your good deeds glorify your Father. So over and over again, we see this mandate in Scripture is that one of the greatest ways we love people is sharing our lives, that they may see your good works, and then by our words, testifying of what Christ has done. It's, it's the Great Commission. It's to be on mission. It's what God calls us to. And so I, I had shared this on, 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 on Friday night, about that, that it's important that we understand ourselves as ambassadors. And I just want to remind us again, so bear with me for those who are on Friday night, because Scripture says that those who have been given the ministry, uh, who have been reconciled, have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors. And as though God were beseeching through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So turn to the person next to you again, just by way of reminder, with great deference and respect, and say, good morning, ambassador. Take a moment. Again, would you do that? Please, again, good morning, ambassador. Even to your children, because they're the Lord's. If, they've, if they're the Lord's, then they are ambassadors. So good morning, Fellow ambassadors, 
I don't think you have to do it for your infants, but for the rest. Okay, so let's just, let's just try to keep it real. So with that, what does this mean to love people, to zero in on? I would submit to you that real love has shoe leather. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It's a call to be incarnational as ambassadors to be on, on mission for God. And so what does this practically mean? Um, but before we do that, what are the hindrances? We, and I know we've, we've kind of addressed some of these, and maybe I can draw on some of the men that were with us. But if not, just open the floor for those who, any thoughts that you have as well. What are the hindrances that keep us from being faithful to love our neighbors ourselves by sharing the gospel with those who don't know Christ? I think we would all agree that's important. I think based on what I understand of this church and, and uh, know of Steve and Yvonne, is that, that, that's, that reflects the heart, as I've met some of your elder elders as well. So we would all agree that's, that's important. But what are some practical hindrances? What are some of the things that, that hinder us from taking the gospel to others before we zero in on what practically that looks like and how to apply that? Hindrances. Fear. Fear. What's that fear? You know, I don't want people to look at me strange, right? I don't want people to think like, wow, he's, he's just not cool. He's just kind of weird. He's, he's just, he's not one of us. He's, she's, she's, she's just odd. You know, she doesn't, like, my, her life must be boring. I don't know. You know, whatever, we, we fear that. Now, and for me, it, it, you know, to get perspective, you know, there are people all over the world dying for their faith. And, and, I, and I'm worried about my neighbor not inviting me to a party, and so to get perspective, you know, at times or that I might be left out. Uh, I, I, re- I remember in our cul-de-sac where uh, we used to live in Fort Collins. We lived there for nine years. And we, were, we, we really were faithful to, in that neighborhood. I mean, we shared Christ with everybody and over those nine years. And, and it was interesting, the last two or three years, is that the, the cul-de-sac, which, which including the house that the cul-de-sac opened up to, these other four homes, they would have parties and guess who would not get invited? Uh, who was the fifth house of the f- four out of five, the fifth house? Ours truly. And we could, we'd hear it and be kind of like looking out the front window. You know, it was a little bit of that, you know, not too much, but a little bit. And we knew the reason we weren't invited is because of the gospel and my personality. No, no, I, don't, I think it was beyond. I think, I, I think it was, I don't think it was just the, my personality. I think it was really the gospel. Because they, that Christ, and interesting enough though, you know, because we're going to talk about perseverance. Interesting enough, after we moved out, after we moved out, it was two, within two years, every single one of those people professed faith. Now, we, we didn't have a chance to harvest. We did see one of them come to faith. Um, but all of them had professed faith in Christ. I'll take that with the exception of, I'm not sure about one of the husbands. One of the husbands. But the rest did. The other seven adults professed faith in Christ. But up until that point, there is this fear like, wow, you know, I'm, I don't, if I say something, people are going to look at me weird. And I think that's part of the trap that Satan puts on us, right? You know, that, hey, you're more important than their souls. You know, your comfort level right now is more important where the, than where they're going to spend eternity. Or they're not interested. They don't want to hear. Okay, what are some other hindrances besides fear? Other hindrances that we, address, we, we, we all face in seeking to be faithful. Persecution. Now, that can be real. Um, other parts of the world, very real, right? There are people that are dying for their faith. But it can be, here it's a little bit more subtle. And it could mean not getting a promotion. 
It can mean, and that happens. There are people that I know that haven't been promoted because of their faith. It can be physical threats and, and even physical abuse in some situations and contexts. But often what it means in much more subtly is, is, is maybe just, is just verbal at this point in, in the United States. I don't think we're far off and too many years away from where it's going to change and become much more physical. But I, I think for the time, it's much more subtle than that. And any other, besides persecution, hindrances? Feeling unequipped. I don't know what to say. I'm going to say something wrong. <clears throat> and, and, I, and as I shared this in, on, uh, on Saturday with the men, it's a big secret, you know, because I have often felt this way, is that I felt like, you know, if I, if I really share with them, I, I potentially, especially as a younger Christian, I'm going to turn people off. I don't know how to answer all these questions. They're asking questions about amino acids and probability of life. And I'm like, what in the world? You know, chains of molecular structure. And I'm like, so there's things that I, I just didn't understand. And yet I have to get back to the realization is that God just calls us to be faithful, right? Just let the gospel out. It's, and as I've heard someone once said it, you said, you know, it's like a lion. It can take care of itself. Just let it out of its cage. The gospel. And the realization that, God, you're gonna, you're gonna, if the gospel is going to go forth, let, let me just share it truthfully and faithfully. And then the, let me encourage you with one other thing, and it's a secret. And I, I shared this secret with the other men. So many of you who are with me on Saturday, just bear with me. If we could all kind of come in, I want to share a secret with you about turning people off. Kind of just lean in with me. I just, are, are we, can you hear me? They're already turned off. Don't worry about turning them off. They're already turned off. You can only turn them on if you're faithful. You go, wait, they didn't respond right. They, 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 like they, 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 were, they didn't respond right and they called me a loser. Or I don't know, whatever they call you. You know, They called you something bad. Um, and so I think, well... <laughs> Should that surprise us? I mean, if they weren't, if they weren't giving, ready to give their lives to Christ, it shouldn't surprise us because that's what Jesus faced. That's what Jesus, and Paul said if you, to Timothy, all who desire to live godly will be persecuted, right? And so that shouldn't surprise us. In fact, maybe it should authenticate it. If, any, if nothing else, it should authenticate Now, it's one thing if we're obstinate and we're arrogant and proud. That's one thing because I think non-believers even smell that from a mile away. If we're proud, we don't reflect Christ, or we lack any compassion. We talked about that as one of the hindrances, a lack of compassion. They can smell that. My, my, my brothers have seen that, and at times I've responded proudly and, and made myself really the issue, even though Jesus was the focus. It kind of shifted, at least initially in discussion, it shifted to me being right then, and that becomes an issue, right, where it lacks compassion. But the God calls us to be ones that that they'd move toward people. And we shouldn't fear not knowing. Just, just share what we know. God has placed you there sovereignly. Don't, don't worry about not knowing what you don't know. Just share what we know. And you may see, people say, well, they're going to say something I don't know how to respond. Just tell them, you know, I don't know. that. That's a great question. I don't know. But let me get back with you. Can I do that? You know, there's, there, I have yet to hear a question that doesn't have a very viable answer. I haven't heard it. And I spend a lot of time in universities and I mean, it's, no, it, there's, there's good responses to those questions. Any other hindrances? Rejection, rejection yeah. Just don't want, I just don't want to be rejected. 
Oh, let me submit to you that there's a relationship between loving God and loving my neighbors myself, right? Because if I love God and there's that intimacy of abiding in Christ, then my, my cup's filled up. I'm not dependent on other people around me to fill my cup. I'm not dependent on them liking me or loving me. But when I'm abiding in the vine, and I'm, I'm zeroed in on the Lord, I mean, it, there's a boldness that comes from that because I'm not worried about as much other people. Because It's kind of like having the president as your best friend. Let's set aside current politics. Bear with me. Is that, is that if, if you know the president, he's your best friend, then the guy who's, who's in a bad situation, who would be the opposite end of the totem pole in our culture and society, comes up and says, well, you're a loser. And the president goes, man, I think you should be president next time. You're going... You know, you don't really worry about that too much, the negative comment, right? Because someone of great authority has authenticated or valued you. And I think that's the same thing spiritually. If I understand that I am of God, that, that God has saved me and he's called me, and it's what he challenges them, right? Doesn't he challenge them? In a, and I want to say, it, it's either, I think it's in either Isaiah 51. Um, well, it's what he says is that, who are you? God indicts the nation of Israel. He says, who are you that you would fear man that dies? In other words, versus respecting and following me. That's the contrast. Words, like, what are you doing fearing man? Who is he to fear? He's, he's a grasshopper kind of a thing. Okay, now, I, I want you to grab hold of this truth, and I want you to grab hold of it in a way that you won't forget. So, I want, on a count of three, I'm going to ask you all, with your children, I'm not going to jeopardize their health. Okay, because we're going to just stay out there for 30 seconds. But on the count of three, please don't dilly-dally. Is I'm going to have you all stand up and go, is that the front door? Is it open? Will, it alarm, will the alarm go off? Okay, I want us all to go out there and gather for 30 seconds on the count of three. One, two, three, go. Okay, good. No, pro- no problem. If you're comfortable, that's fine. Okay, okay, everybody hang with me. Can you pull it in? My, my voice doesn't travel. It's like a BG. It's like really high and it doesn't go anywhere. Okay, so pull, pull it in for a second. Okay, look, look around you. Look, look around as many faces as you can. This is community. This is your, your community of faith. Now, this is the real world. This is where the church is the church. Not in there. That's, that's pep rally. That's pep rally. This is where the game is. Right out here. This is where we're called to be a community on mission for Christ. This is where you're called to let your light shine. It's easy Sunday morning. This is where you're called to live it. With each other. Paired up with one another. Out here, now take a moment and look around you. Would you take a moment, just look around outside of the building. Be, be mindful. This is where the church is the church on mission. We are the church. We don't go to church. We are the church on mission. Let your light shine. Y'all ready to go back in? Let's do it. (laughs) 
okay, what does it practically mean? As, we're gonna, as we bring this to a close here, what does it practically mean for us to love our neighbor? What does it practically mean? What does it look like for us to be people that in loving God, we have such a heart for God, there's such an authenticity about our love for God, that it overflows, that what He values, we value. What He loves, we love. That for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, right? So we begin to engage the world around us. What does it practically mean? How can we practically do this in light of the hindrances? Let me give you some, some considerations, some practical thoughts in it. Number one is pray. We should pray specifically by name for people in our world without the Savior. So we have this challenge for those in my circle, and I would submit this for you to consider, is we have a seven for heaven list that every believer has always seven people on a list that they're always praying for that need the Savior in their world, in their Jerusalem. That can include family, but it's not primarily just people that are out, out of the area, like maybe if there's family in different parts of the country or world but that everybody's praying for seven for heaven. And let me challenge you to think through, who are seven people that God has sovereignly put in your world without the Savior? Make it a priority to pray for them on a regular basis. For me, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays, I do it, I've been doing it for 30 years. I pray for people without the Savior. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays. Make it a priority. See, God, and do it as a family, as a couple. Say, okay, we as a couple are reaching out to these neighbors across the street. The uh, Hildenbarks across the street are people that we're praying for. God, would you save the Hildenbarks? At night, when you have time as, as a father, as you close off your family, you're praying for your fa- over your family, saying, let's, you know, kids, let's all gather in the living room or let's gather in the bedroom. We're going to pray. Let's every get on our knees. We're going to pray as we give the Lord um, thanks for His faithfulness today. We're going to include at least a couple times a week, those that need Jesus. So let's take a few moments. Who needs Jesus that we can pray for? Because as a family, you're on patrol. You are, you're a squad. You're, a, you're on patrol. You're leading a squad for Jesus on mission for the Lord. And so we want to begin those. So let me submit to you, number one is pray. Practically, seven people in your world, every day, all the time, pray for them that they would know and love the Savior. They would come to low, know and love the Savior. Secondly, let me give you a second, not only to pray, but let me submit another one is to prioritize. Is that you need to be intentional, and so you have to prioritize. Now, how many of you think you're busy? Come on, be honest. How many of us think we're busy? So, the rest of you, how many do not think you're busy? That's what I thought. The rest of you don't even lift up your hand. Okay, so um, let's assume that most of us feel like we're busy in this culture and society, right, in this day and age. Most of us do. So whatever we value, we have time for Isn't it true? Ultimately, whatever we value. So let me submit to you is be intentional to prioritize relationships, time with those that need the Savior. Prioritize. Carve it out. Put it in there. And let me submit to you, if you find yourself, as we talk about reaching lost people, kind of disengaging, let me encourage you to go back to the the first one, loving God. Because that's probably where you're off. There's not an authenticity there. And so you want to then, because if, if, if your heart's really pulsating for the Savior, you're going to get dialed in on this one. Because there's, there's a direct relationship between the two. So let me encourage you, as you're thinking about, how do I prioritize? What does this really practically mean? Versus being still living for yourself, being your own little demagogue, but Christianized. 
So, we want to be people that love God, have a genuine love for God, and it overflows. I'm going to be very intentional about prioritizing. Let me submit another one to you. This is not only that, but we plan. You plan it. Put it in the schedule. For Don and I, we, review our, we try to review our lives um, once a week. We get to it probably two or three times out of the month on Sunday nights. We look through our schedules and we say, okay, what's going on this next week? And what we do is we prioritize one night a week where we're reaching out to those without the Savior. If we don't do that, what happens? It fills in. And we just don't have time. God's people are great people to be with. They're easy people to be with, and so it just fills in, right? It just it gets, it gets crowded up, out. So what we would do is we plan it. We put it in the schedule. So not only do we pray, prioritize, but then as an outflow of that, we, pray, we, we plan it. We put it in the schedule. Who, who are we praying for? We'll have a dinner with some folks that we're reaching out to. So one of the things, just an example, from my, is that we, I started working out the YMCA. A great place to connect with people. Great fishing pool, as it were. Jesus said to his followers, his disciples... Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, right? And so a lot of us, we've got to get near where we can cast some line where there's fish. You can't catch fish in the desert. There's no fish there, right? So we want to go to a place where we can cast the line. So what's the practical thing to do is we, we joined a, a membership at the Y and I started to get to know this guy named Will. Big guy, um, started hanging out together. He, he's an officer in the military and uh, his wife uh, um, is a, is, was just finishing up some, some education and so we, we got to know them. We got to build some relationship with them over the course of about six months. And we said, why don't you all come on over for dinner? And so we had he and another couple over for dinner. And he sat down, and we, we had the whole evening just to talk. And it was a great time. It just turned out to be just really fun. We, we, we enjoyed the time with them. And, and you know, interesting enough, just little things, how, how they can be annoying, though. And we got done, and I was, I was sweeping up afterwards, and I was putting the chairs back. And I look, and he had sat down, and he had one of these jeans, I guess, that's the only thing I can think of, these jeans that had some, like metal, some kind of metal or, or, or a belt or something like that. And we had spent the whole evening talking and he had been rocking back and forth. He's a big guy. He's like 6'5", maybe 260. And he had been carving deep into the wood of that chair, like one of the few new ones of furniture we've ever bought new. And it looked like this this modern art, you know, that had been carved in, I mean, probably 15 deep scratches. I go, I might have to, can I even sand that out? I don't even know. But there's just things, and that's part of, you know, in light of a soul, you know, who cares, right? I mean, like really, you know, tell me where's your value system. All right, I feel indicted. So the, uh, the point of that is that, that we, we got to know them, and then we've had a chance to share about the Lord. That night, it just came up. I had a chance to share my grace story about who, who Jesus is to us. And I've had a chance to follow up with Will. As, in, as now we're trying to invite him to join us. We're having a turkey bowl. We have every year that we invite them, um, uh, the other people and friends, particularly those that are unchurched, over to play touch football. And all the men in the church play touch football. Then we have chili afterwards, and the wives and kids join us, and it's kind of a fun, a festive event. So I'm trying to get Will there to, around other now people because we're trying to reach out in community. We're trying to expose them to other people in the body that they see it's not just Tom and Don that have this love for the Savior, love for God. But there's, there's others. There's others that love God, right? So we, we're trying to plan and prioritize. And then la- la- fourthly of the five is be personal. I, I, I have five, five practical ways to consider it. Be personal. What do I mean by that? It's just be yourself. Don't like all of a sudden go, okay, we're, you know, honey, we're having these non-believers over. So kids, be careful what you say. 
And kids, you've got to act a certain way and show them the love of Christ. By golly, don't talk back while they're here. I mean, and so they come in, it's like everybody's like, hi, how are you? You know, good, come on in. You know, it's, it's just weird. They're, they're like coneheads from the planet Nebdar, these Christians. I don't know. So instead, we're, we're called to be believers. Just be who you are. And if you blow it, say, hey, you know, I'm sorry. You know, you're playing football with him and Will takes a, gets a good block on you and pancakes you and you get up and you, instead of, you know, you get upset and you go, man, you caught me and you clipped me and you're, you're upset and the guy scored on you and because Will, let's say he nailed me and uh, this is hypothetical. It's not going to happen. So the, um, hopefully, so that happens and I get up and, and I, I'm kind of upset with him. If I blow it, say, hey, you know, I'm sorry. It's, it wasn't that important. And, and, you know, frankly, maybe it was a good block. I'm sorry about that or, you know, so just be who you are. And if you blow it, be honest about it. Just be who you are. Just be authentic with them. Be, be, show the light of Christ. Now, again, notice the relationship between loving God and loving people. If you're not loving God, there's not much to show. In fact, if you're not loving God, don't invite him over. You're just going to obscure it for the rest of us. <laughs> there's a direct relationship, right, to love God and love people. So you don't want to show them the living water and there's a dried up riverbed and you're giving them rocks saying, here, why don't you chew on this for these needs deep in your soul? Because there's no abiding that you're doing with Jesus. There's no authenticity about that. If that's the case, then wait. Wait until you can really grow in that part of your life. But if there should be a natural relationship or outflow, right? As we love God and we love people. So we're going we're gonna to be yourself, be personal. And, and lastly, persevere. Just persevere. It's going to take perseverance. It's going to take ongoing. And, and we have been in some relationships for years and difficult times. My wife Dawn started a tennis group um, when we first came into the community, reached out to these ladies about once a week and started playing tennis. And, and, and they were just downright mean, like junior high little girls on the playground at public school who are upset and mean-spirited. And that's the type of... I hope I didn't offend anybody. But, the, uh, but you get my point, is that that's how they were as 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, catty, you know, just nasty. And they treated Don that way. And so we had to kind of think through that. And like, wow, it's like, you know, coming back from playing tennis with these ladies, they, they, afterwards they go out and socialize and, or have lunch. And I'm like, wow, she's like, wow, this is really hard. But just to persevere and to see over time, one or two would pop. They show interest. That they're, they're, oh, they find out they're going through a divorce and they, look, they turn to Dawn because she's the believer that's in their world that's been there in proximity to them, faithfully seeking to love God there in that situation. To persevere. And so many of you are in situations you need a call to persevere, to continue on, to say, God, I, I, I trust you. I trust you to continue. We, we were in a, this neighborhood that we just moved from for five years and it was um, a neighborhood that just wasn't very open to us. I don't know. Again, maybe it's my personality. Um, but one of the, what we started to do is that one of the neighbors did respond, have responded to us and uh, have, have been coming to the body. Uh, she's still a Jehovah Witness. She's still kind of processing that a little bit. Um, I don't know if she'd call herself a Jehovah Witness. I think she's past that. But hasn't come to a place of truly giving her life to Jesus yet. But they were part of our mission. They understood about it. They were part of things enough. And they said, well, let's team up together and let's have front, front porch Fridays. They initiated it. And so in our neighborhood, they opened up on Friday nights when the weather was nice. They had front porch Fridays. And everyone would bring hors d'oeuvres to share and just hang out. And there'd be one host family that would provide some beverages. And so Jim and them, Maranda, started it. 
And I remember, it was just a wonderful time. But we had been persevering for three or four years in that neighborhood, at least of them getting to know us somewhat. And then when that opportunity came up, we had opportunities to share Christ. It was that night that the guy who's a retired admiral, was a, who lived directly two, two doors down from us, and it was that night, I remember, that, that late afternoon on Friday, he turned to me and said, now, why and how did you become a pastor that you used to be Roman Catholic? And so I had a chance to unpack for an hour the gospel with them. Really pointedly, but just simply answering questions that they had. It was just natural. It was, it was wonderful. And then they, came, they watched us. We, had, we invited them over for Christmases and things like that with this, this gentleman. I think what's their first names? Ken and Eileen, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's it's more reflection of age than relationship. But so so in that is that Ken and Eileen is that we we spent a fair amount of time with them. They've been in our home probably four or five times for dinner, over the, even the subsequent to that time. And so we just when we're getting ready to move, he does this walk all the time, and he's he's probably eighty five, in pretty in shape. He does this walk all the time with his dog. And so I was jogging, and I ran by him, and I decided to walk alongside, and I just called Ken to faith. I said, Ken. He said, you know, he did one of these things like, hey, I'm not buying what you're giving, kind of a thing. Attitude with me just a little bit. And so I said, Ken, you know, that really doesn't make any difference. I said, the bottom line is that Ken, and I stopped him, because I'm thinking, you know what, he could die tomorrow. I said, Ken, very respected man. His kids all very accomplished. PhDs, blah, blah, blah. And I said, Ken, I said, the bottom line is that someday you're going to stand before the Savior and give an account for what you have done with Jesus. He looks at me. Pause, pause, pause. He goes, okay. I said, all right. And then off I went. <laughs> because I knew he needed to hear that. In our relationship, we talked about the gospel, but he needed to be brought to a fork in the road that he needed to decide what he going to do with Jesus. And then the privilege that there's nothing more glorious than representing the great Lord and Savior that we serve. Amen? Nothing more glorious. Nothing more sacred. Nothing more privileged than being a person that God has used to see people come into the kingdom. What would God do with Rock Valley if you all embraced this message? How different would Rock Valley be over this next year if we all, all together said, God, do what only you can do in me. And as you open the doors, I'll step through them. But I'll pray, I'll plan, I'll prioritize. I'll, by your grace, I'll be myself. And then God... As you open the doors, I'll communicate of the hope that it was within me in Christ Jesus. What might God do with Rock Valley? How different would this place be a year from now? Can you guys blow out that back wall? Can, can, just try to think for a second. I'm just trying to think, how, how would, can you, would you have to go to the sides? I don't know. Maybe you can just go this way. But I just can't imagine. I think that as God would work in the hearts of reaching people that God already has just in your world right now, not even new friends, just the people that he has that you work with right now, if you're faithful simply to apply this by His grace, what would God do with Rock Valley Bible Church? Well, who wants to find out? Right? Yeah? Let's pray. Yeah. God, thank You so much, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, that You, you call us to a, just a, re, a fresh love for You. You call us to walk in humility with You. And Lord, I would ask that You would in, have Your way with each of us and if there's any here, Lord, that they've been trusting in their own religiosity or even their own insights, but have never come to a point by your grace to see their desperate need for you, 
and cried out to you and, and known the release of sin, a relief of the burden of sin and guilt that comes at the cross. That God, they wouldn't rely on attendance. They wouldn't rely on, on anything but Christ alone and His righteousness. That you would save them. That you'd wonderfully save them. That you'd have mercy on their souls. That they would believe. That they would have simple faith in Christ crucified and risen for their sins. And then, Lord, for as they would join the rest in this body, Lord, that you would use Rock Valley Bible Church to shine the reality of you with a freshness, a holy winsomeness that comes because of their love for Christ, their love for God, enamored by your grace, motivated, Lord, by your heart to share the hope that we have in Christ with those around us, that those you put us on mission to reach in this world. And God's people said, Amen.